James chapter 1. I, I love the book of James. It is the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it gives us the greatest, I believe, instruction on having victory over temptations, trials of life that could cause us, as has been said, and I'm, I'm amazed. I read that same material about 14, 1,500 ministers leave the ministry every year or every month. That's amazing. And another tragedy is all of the Christian schools together aren't putting on many men out to preach. And uh, there's a difference as far as dedication is concerned. And uh, Dr. Walter Hanford, my pastor, when I was a youth pastor years ago, said, Satan always aims at brass buttons. They were told in the Civil War to look for brass buttons and to shoot at those individuals. Take them out because you take out the leadership. And Josh, you are one who has brass buttons. Uh, Satan's going to do everything he can do to destroy, to discourage, to hamper your ministry. And uh, it's not the... I'm not saying that uh, you're going to have all kinds of difficulty. I don't know. But I think you have to be ready for whatever comes your way. And so let's look at James chapter 1, starting at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind. And what? Tossed. For let not that man think that he should receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat that it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways." Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are with us each step of the way in our ministries. And we know this, that uh, there is no such thing as ministry without times of heartbreak. There are no times of ministry that we are just free uh, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, we are in the sense that it is given to us, but sometimes these challenges bump us off track and 
cause us not to have the power in ministry that we should have. And it's not our power anyway. It's yours and your glory. Lord, I pray that you'll be with Josh. But this isn't just a message for Josh. Father, there are those here that are living in a backslidden condition and, and, and perhaps don't even know it because they have allowed things to enter into their life that have caused them to not be as productive. And I pray, Father, that our hearts desire every one of us, whether you're in the ministry or not, would be this. I pray, Lord, that everyone here would have a fruitful ministry in this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. By the way, I need to say this before I continue on. I want you to know that I believe that God's hand is upon your pastor in a special way. I met your father at uh, Ambassador years ago, I believe. And, uh, of course, I know you're several of your brothers. But you are blessed to have the father that you have. And you're considering, continuing in the same exact pattern. I love your son already. He's got, a, he's got your spirit. Uh, he's got the direction. And, and uh, children, you better, you better thank God Almighty that you've got a father like you have. And church family, I tell you what, if this was my pastor, I'd do everything I could possibly do to get people into this church just to hear him. And I challenge you, you get him in and he'll grow them. You get him in and he'll win them to Christ. And so... I challenge you to do that, and I want to thank you for this opportunity. Um, I love you. I love your family, and I thank God, and, and I pray for you because I know that God is going to use you. Temptations, two kinds. The division is found in verse 12. Blessed is a man that endure temptations, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which is a promise to what? those that love him. And so there's a division. So the first half of, uh, of the, uh, this portion of Scripture, verses 1 through 11, speak of God-orchestrated temptations. Same word is used uh, later on when it says, uh, talks about the fleshly temptations. There are faith temptations. There are flesh temptations. And uh, faith, uh, faith temptations are, have, have a specific purpose, and we'll be looking at that. But these temptations are pr the proving our ministry. And by the way, that word temptation actually in the nugget root idea is the idea to prove you. What, what, kind of, what kind of person are you? What kind of faith do you have? And God's desire is to build faith in you. You think you have faith now. As you go through the fires, your faith will increase. It can't help but. You know, there are certain times you hit certain circumstances, and, and then years later, you almost hit an identical one. And the second time seems like more of a bump in the road because you look back to the first time, and you say, God helped me through that, and this is a similar situation, and he's going to help me through this situation as well. And so 
there are trials of our faith. And uh, these trials are very diverse. They, they, they take place to come into our lives to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are we going to trust in the Lord through this circumstance? Or are we going to trust in our own flesh? Are we going to work our way through this thing? And, and there's always that flesh element. Well, what, what, I gonna, what am I going to do? I, there's no greater example to go through a lot of these adversities than looking just briefly at the life of Job. And that's financial loss, insecurity. Uh, sometimes the washer and dryer go out at the same time. Refrigerator breaks down. I remember one time we went on vacation. We had, we had a freezer packed full of meat. Um, uh, we, we ordered through this company. Well, I, I said we order. My wife orders. And we, we literally had a refrigerator, uh, and we had that out in the garage. It's it's big freezer chest. We went on vacation, and lightning hit the place when we were on vacation. And when we got home, guess what happened? All that was in the refrigerator was spoiled. And uh, sometimes you say, why, why did this happen, God? I mean, it was hundreds of dollars worth of food. And so there are times where we run into financial difficulties. Uh, times when you're a church planner, uh, church planners know about this. I remember I had a time when uh, someone who was going through difficulty, actually a man who was a, a principal at a school in Kansas City. I planted a church in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, Heritage Baptist Church. And uh, I, we, we had to have our building. We were meeting in a home at the time. And uh, I, I got a, a call, and uh, this uh, particular uh, principal was having difficulty in his marriage. And his wife had separated from him. He said, could I come and visit you? And, uh, you know, we, I knew that we didn't have anything, any food in the house. And uh, I said, yes, come on. And, and after I said, come on, I looked over at my wife, and she was astounded. <laughs> Are you a capital S, stupid? And she didn't say that. She's much more gracious than that. But she says, what are we going to do? And I said, God's going to take care of it. And by the way, he did. That same morning that he called, the Lord laid it on the heart of one of the people at the time of the church. And we hear the doorbell ring. And by the time we got to the door, they were gone. And our whole porch was full of food. And we could go through a bunch of those stories, but God does take care, doesn't he, in different circles. I remember I used to, when you're a church planner, I used to build my kids toys for Christmas because we didn't have enough money. And I remember one was exceedingly lean, and, and um, uh, I, I never wanted my children to, to think that, uh, that God was cheap. You know what I mean? Uh, and that God took care of needs and one particular Christmas was, was particularly sparse. And I remember my wife going out to the mailbox and pulling out a card. And then that card were 10 $100 bills. How many think I was happy that moment? 
we, we had what you call a hugaboo. You know what a hugaboo is? A hugaboo is when you get your children and your wife and your husband around and you just go hugaboo, 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 hugaboo. I mean, we rejoice at the goodness of the Lord. There are financial difficulties. There are losses in the ministry. I lost a son. And I was thinking how wonderful this faith is to see what you and your family has gone through and um, going on. Well, what is this supposed to do? Are we supposed to be depressed for the rest of our lives when we lose someone who we love dearly? Or do we have faith enough to believe that one day we'll see him? Do we have confidence that we can go on with their approval? And uh, it is a joy to see that that hasn't crippled you because it can cripple people. And so the loss of a loved one's loss of friends. Tom Farrell was one of the dearest friends to me. And as soon as I went down to Bob Jones, we connected. And um, I played college football, and the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart. There's a pastor, Wayne Van Geldren. And uh, uh, I was... I was saved, but I was wayward, so to speak, because there was no good church at the time. They had just planted a new church there. And I moved in with the family for the summertime. And they kept on inviting me out to church, inviting me out to church. And when I went out, uh, you know, I knew I was home. This is what I was looking for. This, this was something that was to fill the void of my life. God sent... Marquette Manor Baptist Church to plant a church there to me, I believe, to change my life. And his preaching changed my life. And so I was a, a, basically a college student. So I went out to Bob Jones University. I didn't know anybody that was fundamental. What fundamental? What does that mean? And I didn't know anybody. And uh, I think that Tom probably looked around saying, this guy, he needs some help. So he took me soul winning. He challenged me in the area of my faith. He became one of the dearest friends in life. And, and uh, we've traveled uh, across the world together. And uh, I remember uh, several times he says, okay, now you're going to go to the wilds. I said, are you nuts? I don't have any money. I, I entered Bob Jones, University with Jones University with $250 to complete four years of education. Stupid. Now, even then, God had given me a, a segment of faith. And I remember the second week that I was there, I got called into the financial office, and I said, okay, they found out how much I have, how much I don't have. And they're going to say, probably, son, maybe you go better go back and work for a year and then come back to us. But instead of saying that, uh, as I entered the business office, and uh, Dr. Baker told me to sit down and said, listen, son, uh, there's a fellow that used to give toward this particular Christian organization. It's headed a different direction. And so um, we've been asked to pick out a couple students who could possibly use a little bit of help. I mean a lot of help. And paid for my first year of education. And uh, so new to all of this, Brother Farrell picked me up and said, you're going to go to the wilds with I said, I don't have any money to go to the wilds. I have to go home and work. And um, I finally said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out in faith. I, 
I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to step out in faith. And I did. And God again sent enough money to complete my second year of education. And I actually went to the wilds two summers. But there are times when people change your life and you use friends. And, and uh, uh, a year before Tom passed away, uh, we had met at the Cracker Barrel in West Virginia. They call it the Egger Barrel. And, uh, had, uh, and he, he was just as fit as fit could possibly be. And yet, a year later, before he passed away, he looked like he was 100 years old. And to see him diminish in that was one of the most difficult times in life. Uh, I'm three years older than him, and sometimes you say, God, he is one of your most profitable servants. You know, why didn't you take me? And so there are times you lose friends, there are times you lose finances, there are physical difficulties you have, there are family problems, marital difficulties, divorce, wayward children, bitterness between family members, disgrace among family members. There are injustices and uh, things that will take place in your life that people will accuse you of that you didn't do. You didn't say but it doesn't make any difference because they're convinced that you said it or you did it and there's nothing you can do. It'll break your heart. But what do you do? You go on. There are people that will try to destroy your ministry contriving things. Think of Joseph. Think of all the great men of God that didn't stop when they were accused of something. There's suffering that you'll go through just because you live for Christ. You know, it is interesting in First Peter, as far as suffering is concerned, and none of us like to suffer. But I want you to know that in First Peter, the word of God says two things about suffering. Number one, it's the will of God. Number two, it's the call of God. It is his will that you suffer. He said, God, I wish you'd change your will. You know what suffering is, don't you? There's not a person here that hasn't suffered in some way. And you will in the future too. Suffering is a part of life. And so all these things are trials of our faith. What are you going to do? Are you going to get mad at God? Are you going to step back? And there, there's some natural responses. And I love what First Peter has to say. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold and, and, and they usually come in, in bunches when James says when you fall into temptation that doesn't mean you just kind of stumbled into it the idea here is you're surrounded by it's like you drop in a hole and you're surrounded with dirt and so what do we do We get depressed. Do spiritual people get depressed? You know, Spurgeon in testimony said, I used to cry for half an hour to an hour, and I didn't even know why I was crying. When 
the great catastrophe of the person yelling fire in the auditorium while he was preaching the word and people were killed, his deacons ushered him out of there as quickly as possible because they knew what kind of man he was. They knew it was going to kill him to know that people. And so uh, he wrote uh, a special book, lecture to my students, and looked at the feigning fits of preachers. Remember that? And so in the ministry, we are challenged at times to give in to a spirit of depression. By the way, David was too. You know, passionate people a lot of times. And it's not that they're weak in faith. It's just that in, in their passion, and that is what, what they feel, they really feel. David cried out, Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for he is yet too entering. He is the health and the help that I need. There are times when you will be depressed. But if you allow that depression to take a hold of you, you'll quit. You'll quit. And so sometimes having this depression, other times you'll be in a state of confusion. And you won't know what to do. And that is why the word of God goes on to say, uh, if any man lack wisdom, what, well, how am I going to handle this situation? You don't know how to handle it. You don't know what to do. You think that we have all the counsel? Let me tell you something. You don't have it. And there's sometimes you don't know what you're going to do. But you can go to the Lord. And he gives the wisdom that is needed. Offenses that cause us to have a wounded spirit. Offenses that cause one to become bitter. I have heard so many times of wives becoming bitter at their husbands because of the strains of ministry. There's nothing that will kill your wife more than when you're attacked, Josh. You men know this too. Or the other side of the coin, it should. And during times when I've gone through fiery trials, my chief partner was my wife coming by my side and saying, honey, we can make it. When I entered West Virginia, it wasn't an easy road. Let me tell you something. Uh, I thought I was going to last. I had to handle a major catastrophe when I entered the ministry there. I had two pastors. The former two pastors were known to have marital indiscretions. That's all the further I can go on it. And I come, came in, and I, I just, and, and I had to handle these things. And when I handled it, This man rose against me and sent letters throughout the church. So I had my tires slashed. I had gas taken from my tank. I was, uh, uh, I was told one to, at one particular meeting, uh, you're gonna, you better go out the back door. Now, West Virginians, when they believe in something, they really believe in it. Let me tell you something. He said, you better go out the back door because there's going to be a group of men waiting out front of you. You say, does that happen in ministry? 
Yes, it does. You just confront sin and you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of fur flying. And so what we did is we handled the situation. We dealt with the situation. Um, and basically, I lost 300 people in one month. And uh, we had about half that in the congregation. Had probably close to 400. And let me tell you something. When you lose 300 people in one week, you want to quit. And I looked at my wife and I said, honey, is it time for us to leave? We cleared up the matter. The situation's going on. And uh, because I didn't want my kids to be influenced or hurt through what was going on. And so my wife looked at me and said, honey, God called us here and nobody, but nobody, but God is going to call us away. How many think I had a little more backbone after that, huh? To know I had that kind of wife, let me tell you something. And what was the result? I wanted to quit. There was times I was going to church. And I'm telling you what, I had to have a police officer there because, I, you know, in, in our church member to, to safeguard everything. I mean, I, it's, it's a pretty long story, but, so we're going to end right there. But let me say this. I, was, I would be driving to church, and I'd been saying, said, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. I want to preach. I want to get out of town. I want to go. And yet God gave strength in the pulpit. I didn't even focus on any of that. What I focused on is encouraging my people. And what happened? The windows of heaven opened. The windows of heaven opened. And we just had a slew of young men called to preach. We'd have a tent revival, five or six young men every summer uh, preach. And then uh, we'd take four interns on along with them during the summertime. So we'd have a tent revival. We had two, two revivals uh, uh, the year anyway, so we added a third revival to it. How many think we need revival? And so I said, these preacher boys are going to preach. That's all it's going to do. They're going to preach. And because of the influence of the interns and because of the influence of these older young men that were called to preach, out of that grew a nest of more young men that had a desire. It just grew naturally. And I said to myself, oh God, I'm so thankful I didn't do what I wanted to do in that particular circumstance. And so there are going to be some fiery trials and they're going to hurt you. And, and, and you love people. And that'll hurt you so deeply to see those that you love and, and were, were your friends turn their back on you. But that's a natural part of it. And we see that in Scripture. Anytime I need encouragement, I look to the Apostle Paul and see what he went through. And uh, 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 I say, man, don't quit. Don't be a wimp. Look at him. Look at, look at what he did. He did it. He could do it. You can do it. And so uh, what is the response or what is our heart in this area? Two kinds, remember this. The trials of our faith to examine us 
and to find out, are we going to make this through? Are we going to judge God? Are we going to become bitter? Are we going to become faithful? Are we become hard-hearted? Are we going to be paralyzed by fear? And that is when stress overcomes us and anxiety begins to destroy us or would destroy us. We look to God and find strength. It seems like in, in just that moment, and it's like the Holy Spirit says, you can do this. I've called you to do this. I am with you. I don't care who's against you. I've called you. Do it. Do it. Faith temptations are orchestrated by God. Flesh, flesh temptations are orchestrated by man himself and Satan. By the way, God is in control of all temptations. He does not send them. You got the difference here? And that is God controls. There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Who will not permit, suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able? And here again, looking at the life of Job, Satan says, let me have Adam. It is interesting how that as you pray and as Job prayed, God built a hedge about his home. And as he built a hedge about his home, the protection of the family was there. And how that God says, uh, or, or Satan said, just remove your hand. And it is interesting in Job chapter 1, who he says, all that he has is in what? Your hand. Wow. Wow. For the purpose of testing, because God knew his servant better than Satan did. There are temptations that come our way because of our fleshly desires and because of satanic orchestration. And that is, the word of God says in the next part of the verse, that uh, chapter, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God will not tempt you, but he will allow Satan to tempt you. But who is ultimately accountable for your sin? You are. Can you say what Flip Wilson said? Anybody old heard the saying, the devil made me do it? I mean, that was supposed to be real funny. The devil made me do it. That's, uh, uh, let me tell you something. The devil isn't going to be accountable for your sin. You are. And so there are sins that are orchestrated primarily by you. And then when you open up the door... Satan comes along and tempts. I can't help but to think that they hear all the gardens. There's only one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And guess what? I don't think they were too far away from that tree. Only one. I bet you even said, I wonder what's so special about that tree. wonder why God told us we couldn't have it. The fruit thereof. And I believe that she was exceedingly curious, and that's what Satan wants. Our flesh is weak, and we are exceedingly curious about the forbidden. And so she partook. But I believe she looked 
she desired. And Satan came along and said, there are many advantages to that. Partake, you'll become as God. Knowing good and evil. That was the worst thing that they could have known. They didn't know evil before that time. You really, how would you like to live in a world that nobody knows what evil is? We open up the door. Satan sometimes enters in and suggests and lures and we give in. Sin is conceived and it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Man orchestrated, Satan orchestrated in combination. Have you ever asked yourself and this is interesting. In Second Kings, uh, there are a couple important. In chapter 15, it talks about David uh, and how that David was going to bless one of his grand. Uh, the Lord was going to bless one of David's grandson, and God gave a testimony that the reason God was going to bless him because it was because of David. And uh, basically, the scripture reads, and probably I need to just look at that. It says, because David did that which is right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside to anything he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Is that the only sin that he committed? How many think that that was the only sin committed? No. But why didn't it uh, mention the numbering of the people? That was a sin too, wasn't it? And interesting, we have two different accounts in 2 Samuel and in Chronicles. Or 2 Kings and Chronicles. 2 Kings and Chronicles. One said that uh, God was basically angry with the people. And... Therefore, David numbered the people. But in the book of Chronicles, it says something different. It said that Satan rose up and was allowed to tempt David. Now, who, who, who did it? God was angry, so God initiated him numbering the people, which God didn't want him to do? Or was it Satan orchestrated very simply, God is in control of all things. And sometimes what he does, he did exactly what he did in Job chapter 1, and that has allowed Satan to enter the, for, as a means of testing. God is always in control. Remember this. He is not responsible for sin, nor, nor does he desire for us to sin in any sense of the word. But sometimes he needs to prove to us that we don't have the faith that we think that we have the faith to resist, the faith to believe God's words that I'll be judged for what I'm doing if I do something that is evil or sinful. And so, two kinds. And then, the word of God says there's a proper attitude. There's a proper attitude for resisting these temptations. And the proper attitude is an attitude of joy. Imagine that. Count it all joy. Joy in what? 
the joy that God has a plan, the joy in knowing, the joy in knowing that God has a plan. And that is to prove our faith, 1-3, to plan to produce patience in our lives, a plan to perfect our relationship with him. Number one, knowing that he has a plan. And number two, knowing that through faith we have access to victory over temptations, ultimately over any sin that comes our way. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so we are to joy in knowing. And not only the joy in knowing, but the joy in going to God. And that's why we have this next verse, and when we enter these trials, it can bring confusion and anxiety. The Word of God says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth unto all men liberally. And that is the joy in knowing when we go to God, God has the answers that we don't have. Joy in the fact that God is generous. The word of God says he gives unto all men liberally. The joy in knowing that God is gracious as we go to him. And that is he upbraideth not. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't say, you know something? You are a lousy Christian. (laughs) Grow up, you big baby. What are you coming to me about that again? Didn't I tell you the first time exactly what to do in my word? Just look to the word and do it. He doesn't abrade us. He doesn't scold us. But rather, he comforts us. Joy in going to God in prayer. He's generous. He's gracious. He doesn't abrade. Enjoying in the fact that God guarantees the gift of wisdom if asked in faith. God guarantees it what shall be given him. Do you believe that? If we go in faith, God says, I guarantee you, you're going to get it. Joy in the fact that God is guileless in his relationship and respect toward persons who gives unto all men liberally. And he goes into a little bit of dissertation as far as uh, the brother of low degree. And it, it speaks basically of finances. You know, you know why most of us are poor? I don't think that, how, I'm not going to ask this question because they're probably, in, and if there was, I'd be embarrassed. How many millionaires are in the room? Hey, how many, how many in my generation know what it's like to five boys in a 10 by 10 room with a double stacking and a triple stacking bunk bed? How many think at all you're going to fit the clothes for five boys in one dresser drawer and one little closet about like that? Not much. 
we were sure happy. God's word clearly says that he is not a respect of persons. That's why James chapter 2 says this when talking about the poor. They're rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which God hath promised to them that love him. The idea here is just because you have money doesn't mean that God loves you more. Matter of fact, you know something? Many of us ought to be thankful that we're poor. Amen. You know why? Because we have to depend upon God more. We have to have more faith. I think of my mother making do with what she had to do. I had an alcoholic for her father, and when he did make money, he, uh, he would spend it on gambling. And sometimes she'd have to do it, and all of us boys had to go out and get paper routes so that we could clothe ourselves. We clothed ourselves. We all got paper routes, and we clothed ourselves. We, we paid for our own school books. And I tell you what, I had one godly mother that was one of the greatest prayer warriors and noted for that at my mother's funeral. I had many a person walk up to me and said, your mother led me to the Lord. And at Faith Baptist Church, at Southside Baptist Church, she headed up a women's prayer meeting. And in her home, relatively small home that we eventually moved into South Carolina, in this little area of the house, she gathered together women every week and filled up that room and had a prayer meeting with women had a big bulletin board of all the missionaries on it, and right the center was a picture of Dr. John Vaughn. And that's where we'd start. We got to pray for our pastor. How'd you like that, huh? Uh, how many would like to do that? Women, let's get together and have a prayer meeting. Would you gals have a prayer meeting and put the pastor in the middle and start praying for him? Would you like that? God is guileless in his dealing with all people. Whoever comes to him doesn't make any difference how much money you've got, how much glory you have. Anybody that wants to can come, and I can meet the need. And so the proper attitude to have is joy, and then finally the proper motivation. What's the proper motivation? Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tree, uh, when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. What is the great motivation? The love of God. Our love for God. Our love for God. That's the motivation. You know something? Like I say, my mother was a very godly woman. She went through a hardly time. I, uh, as a young man, saw my mother physically abused. I saw my mother cursed out. And uh, 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 that's why one day I, I started working out with weights and, and uh, exercising because I said in my heart, one day, one day, my father is never going to touch my mother again.
But I remember after she'd go through some abusive times, every morning she'd be up. She'd have a lovely breakfast as much as we had laid out for us. And she had her Bible opened to the scripture. And she'd be listening to Moody Station in the morning and a beautiful, radiant smile. Don't, listen, I know what happened the night before. And I get up and see her with the joy of the Lord. And I see her going on and I see her singing songs and I see her praying. And let me tell you something. If you want your kids to love God, you love them first. You love them first. And because of what my mother had gone through, I determined by the grace of God that I wasn't going to never do anything to disgrace her. I was never going to do anything to her. She had enough hurt. But I wanted to be the kind of son that brought honor to her, that respected her, that loved her. When my father left eventually, and before I went to Bob Jones, I would take my mother out every Friday night on a date. And she had a special place that he liked, and right next to that place was a really nice ice cream place. And I remember the fellowship and how that she imparted, you know. It was always the Lord she was talking about. You're so, and you know what? Because of that, even though at times I, I wasn't as close to the Lord, and I was brought back to the Lord because of Dr. Van Gelderen, even at those times, God was so real because of the way she lived. I knew he was real. No one could go through what she went through and have the smile she had every morning. She never grew bitter. She never used the D word. She just kept on loving and kept on. And let me tell you something. Five boys, all serving the Lord, all having wonderful relationship with their wives. And when we get together, we always reflect upon the greatness of a godly mother. That same love should be to God. You know, God says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Thou shalt, you, you, you love me. I want you to love me. By the way, you know, when you think of that word, good, God created and said it was what? What was he saying? What was he saying as far as good is concerned? You ever thought about that? Uh, you know, if I would have put, I, God is, this is great. No. When he mentioned good, what he said, it's perfect. Now, when he completed all of it, he said, this is what? This is good. It is Completely perfect. You see, it hadn't been all been done yet. This is perfect. This is all perfect. Isn't it interesting that God, number one, wants love for us more than anything? You know the greatest force that keeps you, should keep me and you from giving into temptation? our love for him. 
Just think about all that he's done for you. All he's done for you. God says to us, I love you. Will you love me? And one of the strongest forces in my life, Josh, now, and I've done some things. How, how many have ever done something you're ashamed of? How many have ever done something that's just really dumb? We look back, don't we? And we say, <laughs> I don't know how you used me, God. Isn't that right? I know you called me. But I feel so unworthy. God, I need your help. Help me not to disappoint you. Help me to live for you. Help me not to disgrace you. Dr. Comfer said, turn to me at the examination time and said, Bill, I want to do one thing right now, and that is I want to finish well. I don't want to disgrace the Lord, the Lord's name. I want to die having finished my course and kept the faith. Folks, this is all done by faith. It's all done by faith. Our faith in God, faith in his word, faith in his promises, faith in the presence of the Holy Spirit that he will give us the wisdom, enable us, and give us the strength to do that which is right. And I finish with this. In Luke 18, we have two great parables as far as prayer is concerned. Christ spoke this parable to this end, that men ought always to what? To pray and never to faint. You know how he ends that? When I come, shall I find faith on the earth? You know what my burden is? I want to be a man of faith because God says there's coming a time that there may not be much faith on earth, if any. There might not be much faith. When I come, no faith. Isn't that scary? And I believe that we're living in a day where faith is diminishing. Faith is diminishing. And a lot of Christians are living more for themselves and loving, the, and, and in fact, proving that they love themselves more than they love God. We need a resurrection of a faith that believes. 
that God can help us through any trial in life, no matter what that trial is, have joy in it and love God. The reward is answered prayer. The reward is souls being saved. The reward is a crown. I believe we should strive for crowns because they please God. I call them love crowns. That's what it says in James, right? I call them love crowns. Bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for your attention. My challenge specifically to Josh is that I don't think, I certainly don't hope, but I know you're going to go through some real difficult times. You, Katie, too. And sometimes when Josh will be overwhelmed with an unworthiness, that's a part of ministry because we're not worthy. And for you to look into his eyes and say, Josh, we can do this with God's help. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give in to depression, bitterness. But we're going to let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Because we know God has a plan, a purpose. We know that God answers prayer. And we'll make it through. But to everyone here, I simply ask, honestly, are you living by faith? Are you really depending upon God? I mean, this living in faith means that you're active. Those actions don't save you. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I simply ask you this, has your faith produced a prayer spirit? Has your faith produced a going out and telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your faith a testimony in your home? And I simply ask this, how many would say this evening, you know something? I know that I am not living by faith as I should. You say, well, no one is. But you know if God has been dealing with your heart. If that's the case, would you just raise your hand? I know, being honest, that I am not living by faith as I should. Would you just raise your hand? Amen, 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 amen. I know what God wants. I know what God wants. And I just need to do it. Lord Jesus, as the pastor comes and 
has the invitation time, I pray, Lord, we'd be honest, and I pray that believers would be strengthened. And, Lord, we don't want to think that ministry is just a bunch of trials and testing and temptations and because I remember what my pastor said many years ago, and it's true. And this is what I tell young men as well. The blessings of ministry far outweigh the trials of tribulation. Far outweigh. The blessings are far greater. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.